0: Alright, hello! This is episode one of hopefully many episodes to come of a show that we started called Cult of Personality. What this is, and what this will continue to be, is a show about movie reviews of B-movies, cult movies, and movies that are important in popular culture. I thought it would be fitting to start with Night of the Living Dead today which is a 1968 film directed and written by George A. Romero. It was kind of a groundbreaking film for its time, of its depiction of violence, gore, and it kind of shape-shifted what we know today the zombie to be. I'm going to let Matt, my co-host, give you a little synopsis of the movie.
1: The movie opens, Desolate Winding Road, A car appears, looks like sort of a sedan, wood paneled, you know the type. In it, Sister Barbara and Brother John, not Catholics, just relatives, they are there at the cemetery to lay a wreath on their father's grave. Suddenly, a man approaches, stumbling about in some sort of stupor. He attacks Barbara. John retaliates. In the struggle, John is struck on the head. Seemingly unconscious, potentially dead. Barbara flees to a nearby farmhouse. While seeking refuge there, she meets Ben. a har- uh, I want to say a hardworking American man, but we don't really know that about him. Uh, I'm Amer- you know what? He could be. An American man who aids Barbara in their defense against the zombies. Eventually, we find Harry and Helen Cooper, a bickering couple in the cellar, and their ill daughter, Karen, as well as a teenage couple, Tom and Judy. Their mission? Stay alive. As zombies, or as they call them, ghouls, surround the building, their own interpersonal conflicts threaten to be their ultimate undoing in this horror film by George A. Romero
0: yeah and what's really special to me about this movie and this this goes for some of my other favorite horror movies too mm-hmm. is that it was made on a very small budget it was, it was around $114,000 which today is around 800000 or so dollars and they got this by just using their own money as well as getting multiple investors on their side and they use a very, very limited amount of sets in this movie. Yes. Basi- it's all shot in Pittsburgh. Um, and at the beginning of the movie, like Matt said, they're at a cemetery. And that's just a cemetery in Pittsburgh that you can go to today. But might be a little disrespectful to pretend to be zombies at it now. I'm not too sure. And <laughs> You know, hey, you know
1: what? <laughs> you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: when you write, you write. <laughs> and a, a house th- that was planned for demolition and it's now demolished so you can't, can't go there unfortunately but the chapel which was used uh, for the basement that's I think that's still there so you could go there today maybe and see the basement because in the movie and you can kind of guess this when you watch the movie the house that they're in and the basement aren't connected and they do that in the Evil Dead as well Bec- and you can kind of guess this because there's no transition from going from upstairs to the basement. Uh, but that's that's enough about the basement.
1: Uh, what <laughs> th- wh- what were your initial thoughts on the movie? I enjoyed the film a lot. Yeah, and there's and it and it wasn't a novelty thing, which is something that we should touch on. We're a cult show, but we're going to try to review these movies from a like from a general standpoint, like just a critical standpoint. And not in the sense of, haha, this is funny. Yeah. This is a good independent horror film. And really, I think the thing that is, I think that the fact that it is an indie film uh, is kind of what lends its sort of, I don't want to say novelty, its sort of uniqueness, I suppose, as a film in a few ways. Number one, because of the small budget. This isn't a film of spectacle. No. There are ghouls and they stumble about and, and they do have some... There is some good makeup work there. But for the most part, they're just, uh, you know, Joe Schmo and his band of extras stumbling about in a farmland while a f- bunch of people argue inside of, inside of a house. And to me, despite being a horror film, Despite being proclaimed as a horror film, and a lot of the tension to be between the non-horror—not the non-horror, I suppose—the the the, huma- the the survivors of the film—I mm-hmm. think that a lot of, I think that it's regardless a very—it's a tension-filled film, and I think that in certain aspects it is scary in a way that holds up in the year of our Lord twenty nineteen. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And. I like that you mentioned the the makeup because in this movie the makeup was really dodgy for yeah. the for the ghouls and they and we'll touch on the ghoul part later on but the makeup he George R- Romero I'll just call him Romero from now on cuz we're on a softball team together I guess we'll call him Romero. him Georgie. Georgie, Georgie boy. Um he planned all the characters to have pale skin and black eyes but I- it became too much of a task for him so uh, or it was it was either that or a budget constraint. I forget which one, but they just decided to do kind of touch and go makeup on them. Like for some people, they have these scabs on them and whatnot that they made with wax, and for other people, they just straight up don't have any
1: makeup on them whatsoever. The first ghoul of the film, his only affliction seems to be he's he's got a, f- a fully packed lip. It looks like he's got tobacco in between. Yeah, his, his jaw teeth. is kind of off. Uh, but other than that, he's just your average guy that you see, I don't know, driving down around Bell MTS Place. Yeah, you know, so it's not, you know, it's nothing out of the ordinary. Which is, which is obviously a big departure from what you see now in zombie movies, when half the face is gone and and the guts are hanging out. And yeah, uh, but yeah. Uh,
0: and so, like like we said, this movie kind, it's it started what we know today as the zombie. Because before then, before this movie, all there was for zombies—it started out as a Haitian folklore. Yes. As it was, it was about voodoo bringing just the dead people back to life. That—that that was it. hmm we kind of saw that in Frankenstein later on, but really what we had for zombies was just reanimating.
1: Yeah, and there's an interesting quote actually from Romero in regards to how the legacy of the zombie in this film has sort of endured is that he didn't initially think of zombies in the classical sense when he was making this movie. He said, and I quote, I never thought of my guys as zombies when I made the first film. To me, zombies were still those boys in the Caribbean doing the wet work for Bella Lugosi, end quote, which is a reference to the film White Zombie, released sometime in the 30s, I believe. So it's interesting in that regard that he did—he didn't even explicitly think of zombies, but in in every way, I would say this is the the classic zombie movie, which is to say, undead, yeah, feasting on the flesh of the living.
0: Yeah, and how this movie started when they were just working out the kinks on it because they wanted to make a weird movie. They said because people were very into—you uh, could find the quotes somewhere—but they want to exploit people's craves crave, craving for weirdness. So, the working title was Monster Flick, and it was originally going to be about aliens feasting on rotting human flesh. Mm-hmm. And then they transformed that into ghouls. They they never say zombie once in the movie, mm-hmm. and I don't think there, there was any mention of zombies in this script. So, they call them ghouls. And it's ghouls who are people who have recently been brought back to life feasting on human flesh. Yeah
1: and uh, I don't know it's kind of interesting in that regard that Romero R- didn't even really think of zombie but this is as many people know the zombie movie that and I would say Dawn of the Dead or the quintessential zombie movie which is of course also directed by George A. Romero but in terms of legacy it's it's easy to see like the influence it has on like the typical zombie film because in essence it's basically every zombie film Yeah, in the sense that it's about a group of survivors Um, and they are in a place and I'm, I'm being general because I'm this really will blanket all zombie movies. Um, and they uh, there's two there's two forces at large, which is man versus man in their own conflicts, as well as man versus nature, or in this case man versus zombies, uh, as shown in this film. So it's it just has all the hallmarks of a classic survival horror movie as you've probably seen some f- hundred of times in, in not only film but in uh, video games or comics or literature and so on and so forth but it's really interesting to see the dawn of this to see the genesis of this sort of long tradition that has endured to this point
0: yeah and I know some other media likes to do the thing where they don't say the word zombie
1: yeah like The Walking Dead or you know what else um. I think even in um, Walking Dead is one. Just as an example, like The Last of Us, the game, they're not zombies, but whatever, they're they're zombies if they eat people and they and they're kind of people. Yeah. Well, and it's funny in that regard because George Romero didn't avoid zombie. He just because he didn't want to do it. He just. Didn't think of he it. You just didn't think of it. But yeah. it, and it's a little. It's it honestly is a bit pet peeve of mine when you have people saying walkers instead. And, and and really like this does not lend, like, like this doesn't lend realism to this. People in real life would say these are zombies. So it's, it's a bit of a silly tradition I find.
0: Yeah, the movie is now public domain. Released in nineteen sixty eight. Um. So any, I I don't really know how public domain really works, but I'm assuming anyone can now release their own version of it. I suppose so. And the version we watched was the Criterion collection version, as well as what I imagine is a rip from the original print, which we found on YouTube. And I can't stress this enough. Do not watch that. Do not watch it. Watch the Criterion collection version. They clean up the film so well. The version we watched was so... If you watch the version
1: on YouTube, uh, you're watching a flick. If you want to see cinema, you go onto the Criterion Collection and you find the ultimate cut of this movie, or at least the ultimate cut that we found.
0: And if you watch it on any other sort of streaming service, you're also going to get compression. And this movie, when it's remastered, it looks great. Yeah. It looks great. Um,
1: it looks like it sounds great.
0: It sounds amazing. Um... The movie was filmed black and white in 1968, which is odd because in 1950, it was pretty much a norm then for movies to be full color. And Romero uh, decided to make the movie in black and white because he thought that it made the blood just look a little more gruesome. And he got the inspiration from the movie where Marlon Brando's a fighter. What's it called?
1: On the Waterfront.
0: On the Waterfront. There's a scene where he's all beaten up and bloodied and... He just thought that it looked a little more real than, and in some ways the movie works better from being in black and white. But when I compare it to a movie that chooses to be in black and white, like Eraserhead, I find that that movie is more aesthetically astonishing. Like mm-hmm. it looks, it looks very nice. This this movie looks the best when they're out in the wilderness, in my opinion. Yeah, and there's just black background contrasted by pale zombies i think that looks the best
1: there's a great few shots towards the middle of the film in which ben and harry are trying to attack some zombies who seem to be breaking through the window yeah and ben takes a few shots at the zombies and the zombies like there's a strip of light that is emitted from the house and the zombies face the strip of light sort of scrolls onto the zombies face as they as they sort of just like lean back and then eventually topple over from their gunshots and it's it's probably the best instance that I can say of in my favorite instance of cinematography in the film because it was really it was a really like provocative way to show not only just the zombies as creatures but then to sort of show like the more human aspects of them because what that does is that when you're looking at the zombie you're really trying to concentrate to see what this guy's face is because mm-hmm. it's almost like there's significance there so I really love that shot and I agree the use of black and white in this uh, f- picture I think is was a uh, was a tremendous choice. Yeah, and it's funny because people will look at this movie and think, well, it's a vintage black and white movie. Yeah, but in a sense, George Romero was at the time. Making like a not an ironic, but like a homage, a v- an homage to a sort of sort of a vintage film. Yeah. So it's it's so it's, that's an interesting thing to keep in mind when you're watching the film is that this was not just like a film that they filmed in black and white because it was the norm or the necessity. It was sort of an homage, perhaps to some of the B movies, or the Universal Monster Pictures as well of the thirties and forties and such like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, it was almost nineteen seventy. Yeah, so color
1: the, was the norm. Think of every movie that was released in the 60s. There was there there are most if not all mm, are in color. Yeah, yeah. So that's an interesting choice. Uh, the movie was
0: also shrouded in controversy when it was released. Uh, it w- it came out just before the MPAA film rating system began, like G, PG, PG 13, and kids back in the day would just go see any old movie they wanted to go see. And kids went to go see this movie. And we'll get into this a little later about how violent and uh, the gore of the movie. Um, But kids were in the movie theater crying seeing this movie because of how different it was compared to previous horror movies of Frankenstein or Nosferatu when the
1: the scariest thing that they do is walk around. Uh Aha. They're like, they're relatively sanitized in comparison to this, which is. I suppose why this was a big a bit of a shock to the general public when this came out. Yeah, it, it very. If you can sort of place yourself in the sort of censored 60s and 50s cinema, you can really see when you keep it in mind why this would be so provocative, especially when there's a shot of 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 a young girl feasting on her father with his arm torn off. Yeah. So that that I mean, even in 2019, that's provocative imagery. But of course, we live in an age where you know, violence is. You know, people. Well, people say, of course, violence is ubiquitous everywhere, and we're desensitized or whatever. And whether or not that's true, uh, this certainly is something that's provocative now. Although, perhaps something that we've seen the likes of before. Right. Yeah.
0: So we might as well just jump into full review analysis. Yeah. Um, anything you want to start off with? No. Okay. <laughs> Then I guess I'll just start off on the gore aspect of this movie. Uh, There aren't even that many gore-gory moments. It really picks up, and when it does, it's pretty exponential towards the end. you get got this scene where uh, Mr. Beach Boy, what's his name? Uh, Tom. Tom is planning to go to this Chekhov's gun oil rig just outside of the house with their truck they're going to fill it up and they're planning to escape to a military rescue uh, center. Yes. Um so he goes th- he's going there and his girlfriend in her infinite wisdom decides to jump out <laughs> and help him for some reason and she doesn't really help him. Uh, in fact, she gets stuck in the car while Mr. Beach Boy spills the gas all over the car he then decides to jump into the car drive with her in it get out she can't escape because her seat, her jacket is somehow trapped in her seatbelt and they blow up and then you get this nice long montage featured by this really gruesome base Uh, uh, and you get the scene of These zombies feasting on their remains they did it using i think ham and some other meats but you see them picking off intestines eating that and they're just kind of scavenging for it like they're just they're animals eating the
1: the remains one stumbles about holding an arm an unidentified arm yeah and then just begins tearing into it yeah um, do you want to talk about how Tom Mr. Beach Boy is your least favorite actor in this film? Uh, yeah, he's he's bad. He's <laughs> so he's bland, but
0: not in a a sense like he's just that's just his character. like he can't act. The man cannot act. He he almost he seems uncomfortable. He's, at, he's, at, yeah, at times he's bordering looking at the camera.
1: He's got a very uh, all-American, like O.G. Oh, shucks demeanor, but it's like very—it's very uncanny. Cause first of all, hes has, <laughs> he has a hilarious haircut. It's like the, if the Beach Boys and the Beatles had—if <laughs> they all min- mingled together and they produced a love child that belonged in a psychiatric home. <laughs> so, and that's the first. And he's just—you know—he's just, you know, just like—he's—he's he's got his shirt tucked in and everything. He's—he's he's the teenager. He's a very much the stereotypical. 50s or 60s, I suppose, teenager. Uh, but yeah, I'll agree. His acting is like, there's an uncanny element to it. And that was, I didn't even realize that until we were watching the film and Lucas pointed it out. But I would say it's the only performance to me that stood out as bad. Hey, everyone else is fine. Yeah. Judy in the movie doesn't get a, like a ton of time to shine, really. She's mostly just there. Uh, I think just actually to be a pretty face. Yeah. But she, but she does, she serves her whatever 20 lines fine. Uh, I would say the standout in this movie in terms of acting, I actually enjoyed, well, I do enjoy Dwayne Jones as Ben. Yeah. Which, of course, is probably this the biggest performance that people remark on in this film. I, I really like the dynamic between Harry and Helen as this like couple that really hates each other. And they're aware of it. Yeah, and they're very aware of it. Um, Harry very much plays the stereotypical, I can't, I can't, even sh- I can't even do the gesture because people at home can't even see me doing the gesture.
0: But he's just so animated. He's and animated. He, he's just so
1: angry, and he needs a smoke. And, he- yeah, and his head is, like, in front of his neck instead of on top <laughs> of it. Like, yeah. So he's, like, kind of slouching all the time. Yeah. And he, he's always, and he's, ah, give me a cigarette. Get, give me one of those. ah.
0: <laughs> he's anyway. just very old-fashioned.
1: Yeah. And he's, uh, he's... He's great, and he not just great. in like, a, I think he has some, some, some great dramatic moments towards the end, especially with Ben, uh, Dwayne Jones, his character. But um, I really like Helen too, as the sort of exasperated wife and mother. Um, she plays her role well. She's probably one of the highlights of the movie to me because she brings a very human element to the film.
0: Yeah, a thing that a lot of people talk about is race and gender in this movie and the, the race aspect is the dynamic between Ben and what's his name? I'm so bad with names. Harry, Harry. I was going to say Howard. Yeah. Between Ben and Harry. And the other is people like to talk about how, um, a a Barbara is sort of this weak female character and that the movie is sort of very masculine. And I, I disagree with this point. I, I, like you said I think Helen is a very strong female character in this movie although she dies and she isn't just she's not out there killing tons of zombies or anything she's very strong when she's you know saying to her husband you know you're stupid let's go upstairs because at the beginning of the movie there's this argument between if they should stay in the basement or if they should stay upstairs Ben is saying I'm staying upstairs I'm taking the high ground and Harry saying, well no that's a silly idea I'm going to stay in the basement and she's and then the wife says what are you doing? Let's go upstairs and he's like okay. So she has some pa- she she's a she's a feminist character in the in the movie. Yeah. Um and I I don't think that the movie is very masculine just because Barbara is a weak character. She she watched her brother die in a graveyard. She's going to be shaken up by that.
1: No, and yeah, Barbara's catatog- catatonic in the movie, and uh, of course she's not much help because of this, but there's also a great moment when Helen sits down in front of Barbara, who's lying down in her catatonic state, and she lights a cigarette, uh, and when she lights the match, Barbara looks at her very scared in mm-hmm. like a very animalistic way, Yeah. and then Helen sort of snuffs it out in pity, and it's very much a moment to me of Helen like not only doting on Barbara, but like sort of pitying her yeah and to me that was that was a great character moment for me uh especially because i think helen you're right is a very independent character and is sort of empowered in that sense the thing with race in the movie and we should touch on there's probably like there's probably well there's a few things to note. the first thing is that this is a movie where there's a black protagonist everyone else is white and there's no remark on his race no in any way shape or form essentially he could be a white actor and there wouldn't be any difference yeah of course however there is what people have interpreted or perceived as racial tension between harry cooper and ben which is like up to you honestly watch the movie and it's a good movie so you should watch it but um me (laughs) lucas and i were making jokes that there was at points when uh harry was so fed up with with ben that we expected him to like just shout racial racial slurs at him and then you can kind of see why people pick up on racial tension and that might just be a byproduct of the time and perhaps if this was a movie that released in 2019 nobody would think no there was racial tension involved But it
0: was 1968 in america yeah
1: exactly um and the other thing is that uh people have noted is that he is a very he's not a stereotypical black man in any way he's very right. co- very well-spoken. Well-spoken. He doesn't have any sort of demeaning drawl. He's easily the most capable uh, and probably most intelligent character in the film. Yeah. So those are things that people remarked. About. I guess it, it is a very positive and progressive depiction, I suppose, given that the movie came out in 1968. Yeah. Uh, and George Romero even said when he, when he cast him, he didn't think about race. He just saw Dwayne Jones audition and said that was the best audition, so... Yeah. He didn't even have it in mind to necessarily have Ben be a, a black man.
0: Yeah, I don't I don't think it was I think we'll get onto it later, but from where this movie stands politically, I don't think George Romero is a type of person to or was the type of person to just focus on race.
1: He yeah, probably didn't give a damn. No.
0: Um one thing that I noticed on the second viewing of the film is that the opening title of Night of the Living Dead, Night is highlighted and that's because th- when they finally finished the script for this movie, it's kind of a three-part story. And the three parts are now broken up into Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, and Day of the Dead. So when this movie came out, he already had planned for the next two movies.
1: Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that it took 10 years for the next one to yeah. come out.
0: Yeah. Um, another small thing that I just thought was interesting, and I'll throw it out there, is when you watch the, when I watch the movie again, the cemetery sign is covered in blood.
1: Yes, I did. That was something I noticed on the second time, which, of course, going into a horror film might be something that you might remark on the first time. And it also could be because we watched a really shitty cut. Yeah, it was terrible. On YouTube. That was absolutely awful. And I hated watching it, honestly. (laughs) But, yeah, the cemetery splatter on the film, that was a that was a nice little detail that they added as well. That alludes to something I miss when they first enter the cemetery. Yeah, Uh, of course, besides, you know us knowing that it's a horror movie yeah yeah
0: um i like the soundtrack there wasn't much to be said about it but mm-hmm. the times when it was used it was great um all the dynamics between the characters we talked about harry and ben also harry and um barbara there's a scene <laughs> where barbara is just in the state of hysteria and ben goes i think you should calm down and she just keeps going, and then she—I don't—I don't know if she hits
1: him. She hits him. Yeah, she hits him, <laughs> him, and then he just knocks her out. Ben gives her like the the b- a big right hook, and she does the classic movie thing where she's wide awake, and then she sort of flutters unconscious. Yeah, uh, and presumably for the rest of the film, she's in she's in delirium because she's just been punched unconscious <laughs> by a two hundred pound man, and she is thus concussed. Um, but what
0: I like about that is I don't know if it's a first film to do this I, I haven't seen every movie, but there are a lot of good horror movies that have that sort of trapped in a in a room uh, storyline where the people inside aren't happy with one another. You can see that in alien you can see not but not that much but a little bit and you can see that in the thing as well
1: yeah. Well, and it, it kind of just uh, touches on like the idea that, I mean, if you have a horror movie and everyone's having a good time inside then then there's something to be there has to be something to fill in between when the right. monster comes in. Yeah. And that and that's really a, a big part of almost every f- film is just the interpersonal drama, like I said, between the characters that are not the protagonist or the deuteragonists or whatever you have it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, another thing I like about this movie is this movie shows the ghouls just enough. There are yeah. so many movies like dog shit movies like it that you should not watch whoa what uh, where they didn't. show it way too much <laughs> in broad daylight and this is probably a thing with it being in black and white is that they show them just enough
1: He didn't mean that it was shit. it was a good movie
0: No, it's terrible
1: hey Warner I'm still we're still up for uh when Batman rolls around we'll show off for sponsorship yeah we'll see we'll be seeing Batman we'll be seeing Batman I'll we'll see Joker too. I'll see. Uh, what else do they have? Uh, everything. I'll see your movies. Just uh, it's pretty good though. I didn't. You <laughs> just joking. you are just joking. Um, so the the only gore that they
0: have really in the movie is a scene where they are. Th- they they're eating Julie and I. I'm just gonna call him Mr. Beach Boy Mr. Beach Boy, and the <laughs> other one is. At the beginning of the film, when Barbara first gets to the home, she runs upstairs and finds this very deceased corpse. And it's all torn up and the eyes are falling out. They show it for just a brief amount of time. But what confused me, and this is either a retcon or a cope, I'm unaware as to why this body, which we assume to be eaten or killed by a ghoul, has not transformed into one of them.
1: Speaking of the one in the bil- uh, that they find upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, and that was like the I'm guessing for audiences that, that was the big shock when when he go- when Barbara goes upstairs and she finds uh, a woman with with what looks like her face eaten away. You can see her eyeball, like the striations and all that. Yeah. And like, she her face has just been like all the flesh has been eaten off it. I presumably they ate too much is what I said to Lucas because I mean there's a point where like you can't come back. You can't come back as just a pair of legs, like in the Jimmy Neutron episode with the, yeah, with the pants, you know. Yeah. So I suppose, I, and and it was to give a nice shock. I don't know. You know what? I would assume I would assume the makeup work would have been too hard on a on a on a moving subject. And and that's a thing. That's why they made them recently
0: deceased people. Uh, become becoming zombies because Romero said that it would it would take too much work to have fully decomposed people H- he said something like we'd have to actually be digging people out of their graves to
1: get a good look which is what you see in like walking dead or like zombie land or whatever the hell that comes out that has a big budget yeah when they can just have skeletons walking around basically <laughs> with uh with pieces of meat and like they're big mac from their lunch hanging out of their (laughs) stomach or whatever um at the end of the movie um
0: every everyone dies yes everyone dies Uh, barbara and helen they get pulled out into the night
1: uh or is that what happened well they get well they get picked off one by one so tom and judy get blown up in their car explosion in a struggle, so what actually happens is that Harry, in a struggle, attempts to steal the gun from Ben. Yeah. Uh, Ben wrestles it back and actually kills Harry. So Harry actually dies. Yeah, be- because like of B- Ben. Ben kills him. Yeah. He shoots and, him. And before
0: that, Ben beats him up, punches him. Yes. Because Harry, when they go out to get the, get the oil or the gas for the truck and it doesn't work... Uh, ben tries to come back inside, and Harry locks the door. And Ben bursts back in, and then he b- beats the shit out
1: of Harry. I had to feed you to those things, you son of a bitch.
0: Yeah. Is what he says.
1: <laughs> and I said, God damn, you're right. <laughs> Harry, that's what you deserve. Anyways, continue. No, and so, th- so then Harry gets shot. Helen is... Killed by her daughter, and what is the beginning of a horror trope that will endure for all of time? Yeah, where the kid is bitten and turns into a zombie, and she she killed the uh, Karen, the daughter, kills her with a garden spade, just stabs her up. Yeah, um, Barbara gets dragged to the night by John, her brother.
0: Yes, that's what it was, and I didn't even notice that because the version that we watched was so shitty, I could not even tell that it was her brother.
1: Which I suppose is also kind of a horror trope, which is your loved one comes yeah, back, yeah. and you go, John? Yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> and then she gets devoured by a million zombies. But you don't see anything crazy. Yeah, you don't see. Any, they just. It's just a classic zombie swarming over her. Um, then we are left with whom? Uh, ben le- only.
0: Well, Harry then gets.
1: He he's still alive.
0: He stumbles to the basement, and then his daughter.
1: He reach. Yeah, he reaches for Karen, and at like a kind of sad moment. And then he falls to his death. Yeah. And when Helen return leave, when Helen attempts to retreat to the basement, she finds Harry dead with zombified Karen eating his arm. Yeah. The f- those are all standard movie deaths. What's interesting, and I think what make what George Romero added a nice tragic twist to this, and it's something we've seen before, but it's still effective. Which yeah. is the army, and we're we're shown glimpse of. Not only the army, but just classic rural, rural rural America rising up with their guns and their tanks and their bombs. Yeah. And they're going in and they're shooting down zombies, you know? And th- this is why the w- w- our God-given right to bear arms is necessary. For zombies. What happens, you know? Yeah. M- maybe we can't fight the government, guys, but we can fight <laughs> the, g- the ghouls. The ghouls. You know? And sometimes... I don't know. I'm just I'm going to say this. It's going to be easier to kill your mom when she's a zombie from 20 <laughs> feet away than with uh uh a, a me pounder. So so just keep that in mind when you're voting for prop whatever the fuck or whatever <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um yeah, he's ki- Ben
0: is killed by the army when he thinks that he's being saved. He gets out of the basement, he looks through the window and they and they say there's another one and the, get him between the eyes. The chief
1: goes... Uh, get that one there, uh, right between the eyes. Get a nice good shot there, <laughs> and they shoot him. Ben falls over dead, and he says, "All right, good one. We got him. All right, let's clear it out."
0: And then the film ends with just shots of the army kind of take and just, for lack of a better term, rednecks, just take going hunting basically for zombies with kind of this newscast voice over top of it. And it's it's very effective. The ending,
1: yeah, it's very effective, especially because they show these snapshots of. So the film kind of goes into like the best way to describe it is one frame every five seconds, I guess. Where yeah. they just have like a series of pictures, and they're very grainy. I guess what would be in like a newscast, if or if somebody was reflecting on this event historically, and they're dragging, they're dragging the bodies out of the house. They're drag. It focuses mostly on Ben because they drag him out of the house and they just toss burn him. And they just toss him on the pile and they burn him. Um, and I don't know if, once again, cause we said like George Romero probably doesn't give a damn about race, but to me the v- the image was very provocative of like, like it was very like racially provocative to yeah. me. That was probably the most racially potent aspect for me is when this shot of like rural Americans burning a black man. Yeah. Like dragging a black man who's been shot between the head and then just throwing his body onto a pyre and then just burning it. Yeah. I can totally see that. And I don't know if that's intentional or not. Whatever, we can't ask George R. I. P. But um, that was an interesting aspect of the film, and it was, and it's a tragic twist that we've seen before, where the last man standing is mistaken for one of the, uh, for a monster, or a creature, yeah. or whatever, and they get killed. But it was a, it was a poignant ending, and it was, and it was not something I was expecting. No, because I did not expect this to be a subversive film. Not that was like one of the more subversive a- as- aspects, and this is an innovative film. So while it might seem conventional now, I suppose at the time it was sort of novel and in yeah, its approach.
0: Yeah, and another novel thing, like you talked about, how Karen, the daughter, was bit. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't a thing for uh, people know now. If you get bit by a zombie and turn into a zombie, yeah, nobody knew that back then. And it's not yeah. around till the halfway mark or maybe three quarter mark where they're listening to a newscast and they say that people who have bit. Are gonna turn to zombies, and then Ben kind of turns to the mom and he's like, "What happened to your daughter again?" Yeah. And then she was just like, "Oh, well, just a zombie, bit her or something. It wasn't too bad." He goes like, "Well, we don't know what sort of diseases those things have." Yeah. It wasn't a thing back then for zombies that zo- There wa- that zombie trope didn't exist. Yeah. And so watching it now, you might go, oh, "Okay, that daughter's gonna turn into a." Zombie, which I did when we
1: watched it, yes, um, and I'm sure most people will, yeah. even remotely familiar with zombie fiction, yeah, but back then that was that was a new frontier, yeah, so that was interesting, and there's like a lot of to me to me, the film while while we we kind of describing it as a basic horror film to me. And you know this could be just a byproduct of a history, where everything remotely significant in any way is overanalyzed. Yeah. And I don't want to go too intro to film on you guys, but I thought very much, and this is something Lucas. So I thought of this when we f- when we were first watching the film, and then Lucas pointed it out to me the second time and made me think about it more. Is that this very much is this film is very much set in the Cold War. Yeah. And w- Luke and I have some different theories on a general message of this film. To me, this film. Because at the time, it's a zombie film, right? And, you know, if this came out now, we wouldn't blink. But, you know, this was, a, once again, a new frontier at the time. So you really have to think, why did George Romero decide to have these ghouls shamble about the way they did? Why have the military have a presence? Why ha- Why show scientists? Why show NASA? All of this on the telecast. And to me, it's very much a film that only could have been set in the Cold War. And it's very reliant on Cold War paranoia for a lot of the potency of the themes the big thing I think with zombies that that's meant to symbolize in a way is that it's really just a surrogate for what people at the time were kind of anticipating which is like s- just civil mania civil panic just people in the streets acting crazy for a number of reasons a scientist in the film says or uh, perhaps a newscaster in the film says uh, describes the the ghouls as a group of assassins. And yeah. that's To me, very deliberate for that's very deliberate vocabulary because that calls to mind sleeper agents. And of course at the time we were all very scared of Russia and their big, bad bombs and their big, bad communism.
0: And then, and sorry to cut you off, but another thing is he, he's trying to describe what they look like. And he's like, they look exactly like a normal person would.
1: Yes, just yeah. like those damn communists who think they can come into my country yeah. and share bread with people besides themselves. <laughs> and that's not acceptable. No, but and I think very much and, and the, the military is very present in this. Um, and and there's even allusions to the space race because there's speculation that contamination from a probe has caused these the ghouls to become ghouls. hmm. So to me, the film is very much rooted in Cold War tension. And whether that was a deliberate choice by Romero or whether that was just a product of the time, I won't speculate because death of the author and who cares anyway. Yeah. But that was the thing that stuck out to me when I really tried to sit down and think about the film as something besides just your run-of-the-mill horror movie. It also brings to mind just the general a conflict between the people just the sort of disaccord that would occur in such a crisis. And speaking of crisis, you had some things to say about how the government's perceived in this movie.
0: Yeah, so your thought was, you know, it could be about the Cold War, which I don't disagree with. So it's a good thought. My thought was that this movie seems to have a very sour opinion on the government and how it handles crises such as this. Um, and I, I I thought about this a second time watching it. I didn't think about it at all the first, but there are these newscasts that they watch and oh sorry, I should rephrase. I I think this movie is portraying people's dependency on an inept government. That's what I should say. Because the people in this movie say things like uh, oh, the TV will tell us what to do. We have to be upstairs to see the TV. With, like, the, they'll tell us what we have to do. And the news broadcasts are so inept because they just say things like, uh, watch out for people who look exactly like you do. Uh, we don't actually have any sort of identifying characteristics. Um, and they say, stay in your home, lock the doors, don't do anything, just stay where you are. And then later, there's another broadcast, and they're like, "Actually, forget about that part. Do go out and look for these, sh- look for these shelters that we've set up." Um, and that to me is just is so funny. And they they say we're gonna have so- uh, an expert from NASA on uh, on soon. What does a space agency have to say about ghouls?
1: Uh, find out. <laughs> <That> <laughs> no, I. <laughs> I agree. Like the government is not is not portrayed in a flattering manner, and you know what? Maybe George Romero was very much a uh, proponent of uh, the Second Amendment, which is why he has these rural Americans rise up and end up defeating these ghouls or whatever.
0: Uh, but actually, I don't even. I think it's the opposite. Maybe okay. Be- um, because he dis- he portrays the military or or rur- rural America as as dumbasses because they kill a regular guy at the end
1: and when we say rural rural america um that's just the pc way of we're, we're saying hicks
0: yeah because i mean they're just they're just stereotypical rednecks really
1: backwater boonie country bumpkins
0: yeah. yeah yeah that's what and they're just like yeah get him in between the eyes they don't even <laughs> the guys holding a gun up uh yeah and they <laughs> don't
1: even think and they just <laughs> shoot this man who is clearly I'm pretty sure the ghouls don't shoot guns.
0: And I guess even that could tie into your Cold War thing because they don't even know if it's commie or not, I guess if we Yeah, it's
1: just kinda that's that that's that per, that scene in particular where, where Ben is killed is sorta just kind of an indictment of just human ignorance, I yeah, guess. Yeah. And stupidity in general and in, in, and done in an ironic way which ties in well with the ending, I agree. But yeah, no, the I I totally agree with the idea of the like, the government, the government's ineptitude in this. They repeat uh, repeatedly on the broadcast things that we already know and that could be gleaned just from looking out the window. Yeah, and looking at the goals. And you can say, well, that's just like you know, this is just how it's supposed to be in a crisis. But I don't know. There's no the end. The uh, the biggest thing to note is that. Um, the government helps nobody in in the house in this film. Nobody is helped by the government in no, any way.
0: No one's helped. And why I said that it's about people just following up blindly is because they don't even have a plan to get gas. Nobody knows where this place that they're going is. They want to go to, was it Clearwater or something? It's
1: it's just, uh, I don't know. I don't even remember. It's some sort of, uh, just some s- just a local... Uh, place of refuge that the government has set up, I suppose. And,
0: and no one knows where it is at all. They just have ideas. But they're like, oh, the TV said we have to do it, so let's go out and <laughs> do
1: it. Yeah, I don't know. Like, the re- <laughs> like. it's funny. No, it's funny. Yeah, you're right. Like, no one <laughs> no one knows what they're doing.
0: They're like, oh, do you know how to use a truck? And they're like, uh, yeah, Be- Mr. Beach Boy knows how, I
1: think. And he's like, yeah, I'll handle the truck. <laughs> <laughs> And then he and then he and uh, then he takes the gas out of the thing. He's whoa! <laughs> 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 like covers spills. like a truck in gas. And I'm like Jesus. That was that was the funny the funniest part of this movie is when, um, when the sixth Beach Boy, <laughs>
0: not Charles Manson,
1: when, <laughs> when when uh James Wilson or the Forgotten <laughs> Beach Boy. Pulls out the gas tank and thinks that you just have to s- click. Th- <laughs> you have to hold the trigger and spray it all over the car, and that's gonna put gas in there. And he goes, "Oh no! Sh- oh shucks! Oh gosh!" And then, and then Ben's like, "Ah, damn it! Like shit!" Yeah. Uh I don't know. That was really funny. That maybe that was my favorite moment of the film because I, the first time I saw that, I actually laughed out loud. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it was just hilarious. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that was that was really good. If I had to pick a favorite part, it's probably the sequence where they're they're eating the remains Yeah uh, of the blown up bodies. I there's something about that music. It's just so it's, it's so sinister.
1: It's like pulsating and it's like it's like it's like it's like beating it's like it you can feel the beat and yeah. it's very visceral in yeah. a way. And it's and it yeah, I agree. That was probably like my favorite sound. Design portion of the film which we talked th- which we commented on earlier this film does have good sound design yeah it's a decent score but the big thing is like more of the ambient stuff when it's just trying to evoke certain emotions or certain motifs like when the zombies are there and blah, and the, the high pitch organ or whatever the mm-hmm. whatever there is yeah and and the shots like you
0: said where the hands are coming out into the into the the hands of the zombies are coming into the house through the windows that, that's that's iconic as, as it gets for horror movies really yeah
1: there's yeah and I mean this movie I guess is just iconic in general but there's so many aspects of this film as we mentioned that are that have just been sort of immortalized in the horror movie hall of fame or you could say horror bo- horror movie book of cliches yeah whichever you prefer
0: and, and there are scenes in the movie where I'm not sure if they're supposed to be funny and they maybe just have an age well or something like there's a scene where Ben first meets Barbara and he's boarding up the house and he asks her to go get him some wood to help board up the house. And he's breaking these huge pieces of wood, making these huge defenses. And then Barbara comes in with a couple of like little sticks. (laughs) I think that's
1: deliberately like funny or like meant to be like cutesy because like Barbara's like just so like in such a bad way that she's like, she just picks up these sticks and she doesn't even realize how useless she is yeah moment yeah no and there's some and uh, w- and there's some p- like I think when a lot of the Harry and Ben argue and I'm sure audiences laughed when when for example Ben says I feel bad for your daughter because they're old because their old man is so stupid yeah. <laughs> and stuff like that that's, that's a good line that's a good s- that's a good line uh, and it's a it's a funny back and forth it's like it's dramatic but it's towards the end it's funny because they're just insulting each other like children. Uh, there's another thing that you might catch on your second
0: viewing is that uh, the lady that we talked about that has her face mauled off uh, upstairs. Later on, they drag her body away. But if you look closely, her makeup's gone
1: and it's just a regular woman. Yes. I paused the movie because, yeah. So initially, it the shot where Barbara sees her, it's just zoomed in on this woman's face and it's eaten away. And it looks kind of like the alien in Mars Attacks where there's just the eyes and the brain. Yeah. Or if you've seen the Spongebob episode where he take the Halloween Spongebob episode. Yes, yes, yes. That's, yes. What he look, that's what he looks like. I bet if, yeah, and then when Ben's dragging her away, you get a glimpse and it's just a woman, just a regular woman with nothing wrong with her face. No. Which I, w- and, and and Ben is, like, co- trying to cover her with the blanket, so it's actually funny that they still left that in the movie because, like, they could have yeah. just reshot that really quickly. Probably at that point they were like, we ran out of, we we don't have any more film left. This is all we got. But, yeah. No, it's like it and the makeup work is good. It's just you can tell to a certain extent that this is an independent film, not just because of the small setting and such, but, you know, just because of some of the, the limits of the makeup work. And I mean, some of the ghouls are just like fat guys who are not wearing a shirt, walking around with eyeshadow. Yeah. And
0: some people just don't have makeup. There's just people that are straight up naked walking, although you don't actually see any frontal
1: you see, you see, you just see
0: their like their naked back and their. You see breasts. Do, do yeah, you? Know?
1: Yeah, you see brass. You don't see like any oh, genitalia. Oh, wait, you're right.
0: You're right. Okay, yeah, you don't see any genitalia. Yeah.
1: So if that's what you're in for, then you can just tap out of this movie. I don't know if Dawn of the Dead has.
0: Gen- genitalia? No, but that. I'll touch on this, you know, near the end of the show, but I think Dawn of the Dead is the better of the three. Um, and I would, I think we kind of need to review it later on.
1: Yeah? Yeah. I'd, I'd like to review it. I mean, Dawn of the Dead. Arguably, Dawn of the Dead has surpassed Night of the Living Dead in, in Legacy, sort of. Yeah. I think, like, the poster certainly is, like, very iconic and... There was a there was a 1990 remake of Night of the Living Dead, and like nobody really gave a damn about that. But Zack Sy- Snyder famously remade Dawn of the Dead in 2004, and that was m- a much bigger deal. Mm-hmm. So I think that kind of speaks to its popularity. as sort of the cornerstone. I think most people think of Dawn of the Dead when they think of George A. Romero. Um, when they think of sort of his magnum opus, anyway. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> um. You know, just sort of wrapping up here, I would definitely recommend this movie to anyone watching. Uh, If you're a big horror fan, you should definitely watch this for the history factor of it, as well as just it being a good movie. If you're looking for sort of a, you know, a very gory movie, this isn't really it by today's standards.
1: Um, And what do you think? No, I agree. It's... um it's a it's a re- it's a relatively brief film. So honestly, I, the second time we watched it, I was like, "It's already over."
0: Yeah, like it, it's it's an hour and thirty six minutes, but it's a very fast hour and thirty six minutes. Mm-hmm.
1: The f- the film is well paced, if, if that's something you're wondering. Uh, especially compared to films of the time, which, not are not necessarily n- not well paced, but of course are slower paced. Yeah, are slower paced yeah. in movies like than dramas or anything that comes out now. Yeah. yeah. Would I recommend this movie? Yeah. Uh, are we giving it bags of popcorn? Yeah. Yeah. Out of 10. 10? I want to do on four. We won't do.
0: I'll meet you ha- halfway. We'll do five. It's okay. Really half if four. I have
1: to give this bags of popcorn, uh, I'll, this is a four bagger easily because it's not only just for influence, but it's just a well-made independent film. Especially when you consider that this is sort of an auteur piece because Romero was basically in charge of everything.
0: Yeah, and this goes with a lot of my favorite movies, is that you can tell this guy loves movies. Yes. You know, like, there are movies out there where... (sighs) They're
1: made cynically. You can say they're made cynically, and they're more product than film. And, you know, maybe one day we'll talk about Scorsese and what he says about Marvel movies or whatever, whatever the fuck. Yeah. But it's you're right it's, it's, a, it's a film with care
0: uh, yeah but uh, and not just cynical or cynicism but there are people out there who want to make a movie but they aren't really into the media
1: they're lo- in love with the idea yeah. film. they're
0: love yes that's a great way of putting it this I could tell that George A. Romero loves movies and I mean he started out making industrial films and commercials and he said fuck it let's make a movie and he made yeah. a great movie yeah um, and of
1: stood the test of time it
0: really does i mean some people can aren't really able to watch old movies because they just think that they're cheesy or they need color i mean if you're one of those people this movie isn't going to be for you
1: if the, if you're one of those people up yours your words
0: not mine uh, <laughs> uh i'm also probably gonna. this is a four bagger the four bagger sure. yeah great movie um well, maybe not a four, maybe a 3.5 bagger. No, we
1: don't that's the line we're going to draw right now. No point five bags. Well, your four <laughs> bags or f- three bags. That's it. Really? Yeah, you know what? Because when you break it down to a point five scale, and this is my problem, you just made it a 20 point scale. When you do a 9.3 and a 9.4 <laughs> or whatever, that's a 100 point scale. So why not just make it 100 points? <laughs> why do you have to put a decimal there? What does that add? Like Okay, but no. if I
0: if I like I and I do like Dawn of the Dead more, and when we get to reviewing it, I have to give it five bags and it's a ten out of ten movie.
1: No, you know you there's four baggers that I like more than other four baggers now movies work.
0: I don't know. I like the te- I like the rating. I'm I like the I'm ten- vetoing
1: it. What? Well, I decline the options. <laughs> um
0: Okay. Well you know, fuck it. It's a four bagger then. Yeah. Um it's a it's it's a great watch it really is i enjoyed watching it I'll, i'm going i'm buying the criterion collection version of it um if you want a great rip of this movie uh, check out the criterion collection version of it i'm not advocating piracy but if you do pirate it and you like it buy the criterion collection it's it's not that much and you know they they love what they do over there i don't know why i'm shilling them but they they love
1: we just talked about this on beyond the panel which is just like if you if if you if there's something you like that you that is available to purchase then you should purchase it to to get more of what you like it's i mean that's very common sense but and I, I, we shouldn't even have to say it yeah but if you want more great releases of cult films or indie films or underground films i don't know then and if you can afford it to buy night of the living dead yeah at the criterion collection so um So, yeah, we're going to be planning
0: on releasing these episodes weekly. We're shooting for every Monday is our tentative plan right now. Um, We're doing Night of the Living Dead. This will be released Monday the 16th, and we're hopefully going to be releasing on the 23rd a review of Star Wars The Holiday Special. Yeah. And on the 30th, we have Silent Night, Deadly Night Part 1 and 2, because part 2 is kind of the piece de resistance, but you have to... You kind of have to sit through part one. So we're going to do both of them. Um, I'm I'm going to, c- when we review them, we'll probably skimp over one and kind of just get straight into two because it's just, it has so many good sound bites.
1: The rare cult of personality double feature.
0: Yeah. And on Monday the 6th, we have Ed Wood planned.
1: Yes, the hit film starring Ed Wood uh, in a daring piece where he plays himself. <laughs> Released in 19... 19-
0: uh yeah. Uh yeah, uh so check out uh Night of the Living Dead. Uh, it's a fun time. I would definitely watch this with friends. It's something that you can have fri- uh, fun with in as a group. Uh, you could also watch this uh alone. but well, yeah, that that's what I have to say about any other sort of remarks things you want to talk about. If you're
1: watching movies alone, I feel bad
0: for you. It look, I won't lie, not a good look.
1: It's really not a good look, guys. Um movies are social, art is social you know uh, it's it's as simple as can be but yeah. uh next week yes we will have the Star Wars holiday special and you know what just to let our podcast viewers know thank you for supporting the network but uh eventually we will see about uh, having a potential radio slot
0: yeah it all depends on what the availability is like uh, but i'm we're hoping to get i would honestly like to do both yeah but we'll, we'll see what, what comes of this. So, yeah, this was our first episode of Night of the Living Dead. This was brought to you by Luke and Matthew. Matthew is his name. We'll catch you later. Stay old school for life. <laughs>